This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo, along with Jim Callis. Jason Ratliff is off this week, so the two of us, Jim, I think we'll, we'll, we'll muddle through and we'll manage to uh, to get through this together. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to celebrate the opening of the college baseball season. The first weekend is in the books. Lots to talk about there, including uh, a recap of the MLB4 tournament in Arizona, where Jim was a part of the network broadcast team. We'll take a look at some strong and slow starts to the college season. Before we turn our sights back to minor league prospects, looking at who has the best gloves among the uh, the prospects uh, in our purview, the all-defense team. And, of course, we'll finish up with the mailbag as always. Jim, you uh, have gone back and forth to Arizona. Uh, how was your trip? It was fun. Yeah. It, it's, it's always weird. Cause it's like, you know, we've both done like spring training jaunts when you're, when you're you know, in Arizona or Florida for 10 days and going all over the place. And the, the MLB four, the annual MLB four trip is like, uh, like in and out. Like I went in Thursday, I landed Thursday around noon, went to all the workouts of all four teams and talked to the coaches. And then we, we broadcast a double header, which was with new this year. And in the past, we just done a single game. And then I was back out early the next morning, but it, it was, it was fun seeing college players. Uh, you know, I was realizing this is the first college game I've seen in person since the pandemic started. Hmm. Um, and we got two good games. We had a, you know, Cal tied the opener with a ninth inning home run by freshman Caleb Lomavita and then won it in the 10th. We, we had two good starting pitching performances in that one from, from Josh White to Cal who struck out 10 and five in the third innings and was 92, 95 with, with really good breaking ball through a lot of, you know, just nasty slider. And he was opposed by a, a Juco transfer making his debut for the Cougars, Nathan Medrano, who's not a top, top prospect, but he went, even though he's on a pitch count, Jonathan, he went seven innings, gave up mm-hmm. only one run, um, you know, low nineties guy, but just really pinpoint control, put the ball wherever he wanted and attacked guys. And then the nightcap, we also had dramatic comeback. Uh, TCU scored three runs in the ninth inning to, to beat San Diego state five to three. And uh, a guy we'll be talking about a lot next year, Jonathan is, is Braden Taylor, TCU's third baseman, man, what a, what a really nice left-handed swing doubled twice intentionally walked once drew a walk another time he looked really really good and i mean it's a one game look um i kind of went in you know based on the information i had you know this guy's probably a top two round pick for next year and that might be light jonathan he might be a (laughs) he might be a first round pick and i might be like just he his left hand swing is so good and he just i mean he, he just you know put two balls in the gaps and the one out he made he got a little bit out in front um, and he still drove the ball 300 something feet to center field. Um, so it was, it was fun. It, it's a lot of fun to get out. And I mean, it's still, I, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way, Jonathan, but I mean, since the pandemic hit, which was, you know, roughly two years ago now, we, we haven't been to that many live games, honestly. So it's, no, I, it's kind of a treat. And I enjoyed the fall league more than I've ever enjoyed the fall league. And I enjoyed a lot in a normal year, but it's, it's just a treat to go out and watch live baseball in person. No, that, that that's very very true. You know, thinking about it, I guess we, we had we had Denver and the you know the high school all American related stuff, and then the, the futures game. But we also had the draft going on at the same time, and and then the fall league. And I think maybe I went to one Pirates game last year, um, and the, you know just to sit in the stands, and and that that's. That's been it for me. So I'm a little we jealous. We didn't go to spring training last year. I mean, I, I, I had two games at the combine that were kind of showcase style games. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it, <laughs> it, it it's, it's fun. Far between. So it was it was good just to see live baseball uh, and then to get some good games. Uh, you mentioned Braden Taylor. He went seven for eleven 
uh, throughout the tournament overall. So it wasn't just the game that you saw. Um, Jake Grill's got a story on our site right now uh, about you know five of the sort of standout performers, uh, some of whom you, you just mentioned. I wanted to ask you uh, about Dylan Beavers. You know, we've, we've talked about this before, but, you know, you and I split up the country for, for our draft coverage and I have California and, and Beavers was the, the actually the only ranked prospect uh, and from our draft top 100 that we put out in December playing at the MLB four. Uh, and I know he like, he didn't do a whole heck of a lot, but I'm curious, like what you, what you saw from him and, and what you thought of him since he, he's one of those, one of the many college bats who have some upside, uh, but also some question marks. Yeah, I mean, if you watch him take BP, it's not the smoothest left-handed swing. I mean, your scouting report, I think Jonathan talks about how it's a little bit unorthodox. And, you know, he had a really nice year in the Pac-12 last year and then struggled some during the summer with Team USA and in Cape Cod. So, you know, we've got him, I think, and what is he, like 24th, I want to say, on our list, which which put him in the first round if people were drafting off our list. Um, and, you, I mean, you could certainly see, I mean, he's six foot four and he, and he, you know, moves really well for his size. And, you know, you, you could see the raw power and he's got a good arm and, you know, talking to Mike new, their head coach um, was talking about how like he's intellectually curious and he wants to get better. Like he's, he's been working on his throwing stroke so he, so he can throw, you know, better arm strength, more accuracy, you know, when, I mean, let's face it, a lot of guys who go in the first round aren't necessarily worried about their throwing stroke, but but he is. And, it, and it's funny because, you know, so I got a one-game look, and I saw him go 0 for 4 with an intentional walk, and he hit a ball the warning track. I mean, again, it's a one-game look, so I wasn't going to read too much of that. And then the two days I wasn't there, I think he went 3 for 8 with a pair of walks and a home run. So, um, you know, off to a decent start. I, I You know, you could, he, you could see on the ball he hit to the warning track. I mean, there's some raw power in there. Um, and again, I mean, the one thing I think that, that if anything works against him, it's that there's so many good college hitters this year. It's not like a year ago where we were trying to, you know, and teams are trying to like, like, how can we find college hitters to take in the first 50 picks this year? There are a lot of college hitters to go in the first 50 picks. Yeah, there are, I think, uh, eight college bats in our top 12 uh, of our top 100, and uh, let's widen out the conversation a little bit because obviously MLB four was not the uh, the only college action going on. Everyone was getting started. Uh, you know, we talked uh, you know at length last week about the Andre Dawson Classic. We're not getting into that here uh, because the schools involved don't have any top draft prospects, and that's what we're focusing on on this episode. But uh, some really good baseball in New Orleans this weekend. You can find that coverage. Allison Footer was on the scene, and there were games on MLB Network. Uh, you know the, that tournament celebrating uh, largely the the HBCUs, the historically black colleges and universities. So great tournament there as well. Everyone in action today. All those hitters uh, that that we talked about. Um, some of them, you know, didn't do a, do a whole heck of a lot. Um, we're we're going to talk about some who got off to, to really good starts. Um, so why don't why don't we start since you know you know we mentioned all the hitters uh, at the top of the list and you know the last couple of weeks we I think we've also talked about how the college pitching scene is a bit of a mess uh, just because of so many injuries. So why don't we start off uh, by each of us looking at a hitter uh, from from the top one hundred who. Uh, who really stood out in, in this opening weekend? Why don't you kick us off, Jim? Okay, well, well, hitter wise, um, I'll I'll go <laughs> I'll go with the easy one. I mean, our <laughs> top ranked college player or, or you know college performer, you know, counting pitchers too, is Jacob Berry, who, who transferred to Arizona LSU. And you know, I, I, you and I don't love comps, but I'm not afraid to run a good comp into the ground, and I'll continue to run with Please. switch hitting Andrew Vaughn. Um, we, for Jacob Berry, you know, we're, we're not sure if he's going to wind up, you know, is he a third baseman? Is he a first baseman? Is he a corner outfielder? Uh, you know, that, 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 well, that, that's TBA. But, uh, you know, I think he's the best all-around college performer in this draft. He, you know, he, he can, you know, control the zone from both sides of the plate. He's productive from both sides. He hits for average. He hits for power. He has a high on-base percentage. They played main – 
in the opening weekend uh, at LSU, at Alex Box, and destroyed Maine. They scored 51 runs in three games. None of the games were particularly close. And leading the way, like, and they, they, I mean, LSU has a deep lineup, so they had a bunch of guys go off, obviously. But Jacob Berry, who played primarily right field, um, absolutely killed the Black Bears. Uh, you had, you know, 429, double, two homers, only struck out twice, walked once, um, just had a huge weekend. And again, I mean, look, these are small sample sizes. Nobody's, you know, etching scouting reports in stone. But, you know, if you went to see Jacob Berry against Maine, he did exactly what you would expect him to do and didn't do anything to make you think that he's not the best all-around college offensive performer in the draft. So, I, I, you know, good start for him. It'll be interesting monitoring, you know, right field versus third base for him. Yeah, and it's funny because I think it's one of those things when you have a powerhouse and a really good player facing, uh, you know, a, a lesser college program. It's taking nothing away from the University of Maine. They're just not, uh, you know, it's not on, on the same caliber as LSU. But, you know, I think what you can take away is he did what he should have done against a team like Maine. Um, you know, so so it's an encouraging start. Let's see what happens as things go on. I don't think there are many people who are worried too much that he's going to hit, you know, in his new in his new program and new location. Um, I'm going to go to the sort of back end of the top 100 for my hitter um, and the Florida Gators. Uh, and that's Sterling Thompson, who was number 90 on our list. Um, you know, and he, you know, the thing that's interesting about him uh, for me is that, you know, he has always been known since he's been in college as having a really good left-handed swing, uh, you know, definitely with a hit over power approach. And the question it was, you know, well, how much impact is he going to have? Because he really profiles, uh, you know, at a, at a corner uh, spot. Uh, interestingly enough, I think a lot of people thought he was going to end up being the third baseman and he played all three games in right field where he's played, you know, some before. I, I think that's fine, but I, it's the same kind of questions uh, in terms of, Will he have the kind of pro, you know offensive potential to profile? Um, and he, you know, he had a good weekend. A lot of it came in the in the first game. It was actually Florida's only win. Liberty took two out of three uh, from 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 the Gators. Uh, but on Friday, where presumably he's facing you know the <clears throat> the best pitcher on Liberty's staff, uh, he had a two homer game. Uh, and he, you know, he ended up with two homers and five runs batted in, uh, and hit 333 for, uh, for the weekend. Uh, you know, we'll see what he does beyond that, you know, again, very, very early, but to see him come out of the gate and Homer twice when the question about him offensively, uh, was about whether or not, uh, you know, he was going to hit for enough power. Uh, I, I think uh, that's encouraging, and we'll see what happens as as things go on uh, because there is a lot to like about his left-handed swing, and if he stays with his overall good approach and there's more power, he is the kind of college bat who is going to move up closer to uh, a lot of those other college bats than he was when we first uh, put that list together. Why don't we switch over to, to, to pitching? Uh, I know you have uh, – have an arm uh, for, and for me, one of the most intriguing arms. And I'm not just saying this because a lot of the, the, the higher rank guys are hurt, but th- I think this was a guy that everyone wanted to see what it was going to look like. And for Landon Sims, Jim, it looked really, really good. It did. I mean, yeah, he, he's the only pitcher college pitcher we have ranked in the top 41 of our top 100 who actually pitched this weekend. There's a bunch of guys who are hurt, and Carson Wisenant at ECU got suspended. So, you know, Landon Sims, the only pitcher active in our top 41 prospects and making his first start of his college career. Um, You know, as we talked about, you know, a lot of eyes are going to be on him. I mean, he was as good a closer as you could be last year when Mississippi State won the national championship. He had 100 strikeouts in 56 innings. Opponents hit 151 against him. And if you go back and look, 
Almost all his games were against SEC or ranked opponents or postseason opponents, and he pitched multiple innings in a lot of them. He was kind of, you know, if you need him in the seventh, here comes Landon Sims. And basically, every time he pitched, he just shut down the opposition. Um, and, uh, you know, so anyway, lights out as a closer. And, and you know, Mississippi State going to give him the chance to start this year. You know, and, and, you know, he's a guy, he throws strikes. He's not pinpoint control. He, it's, you know, he, he will spin off and recoil a little bit at times in his delivery, but, but scouts have noted that, you know, when he pitches longer outings, like if they bring him in the sixth inning, he'll pitch more under control. So, you know, people were very interested to see what it's going to look like. And obviously you're not going to read too much into one start, but in his first start of his college career, he was pretty spectacular. He went seven innings against Long Beach state, uh, struck out 13, didn't walk anybody, only needed 81 pitches to, to get through seven innings. He did give up a solo homer in the seventh, and because Mississippi State didn't lose, didn't score, he, he wound up taking the loss. But, you know, it was interesting. Now, the, 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 you know, his fastball and slider were as electric as ever. He, he was really pitch efficient because the, the 49ers just couldn't hit his fastball, Jonathan. And the thing that, that people want to see out of him is his changeup. And it's interesting because, you know, he look, he pitched a lot last spring. So he didn't pitch in the fall. Um, and so, you know, when teams met with him, like the, the only scattering reports on his changeup, people kept telling me it was the same thing. Like, you know, he says he's got one. He's confident in using it. That was the scattering report because literally nobody had seen the changeup. And, you know, we still didn't get to see much of it against Long Beach State because that fastball was so effective. And then the, the, the slider is just a wipeout slider, too. So he only threw maybe six, seven changeups. Um, so it, you can't really read too much into it, but, 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 you know, as a first start goes, you know, striking out 13 with no walks and in seven innings, uh, pretty impressive. So I, you know, again, you know, it, it's a long way between now and July, but I think everybody was, you know, as enthused as you're going to get about one start, that that's how enthused people got. People were pretty excited about it. Yeah. For him to go that deep um, and pitch that well, right. Out of the game, I, you know, I was willing to sort of, and obviously, you know, it's not like these guys show up, you know, not ready to go at the opening start of the season. They were on a whole program to ramp up, but I was willing to kind of, all right, well, ease into the role kind of thing. But he seemed very, very comfortable. And I think that's that's a good sign. So we'll see where it goes from there. I'm going to go back to the Florida Gators uh, for, for, for my pitcher, and that's Hunter Barco, who is number 53. Uh, on the top 100. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've been writing and talking about him for a long time. He was our top high school lefty in the 2019 draft class, but he didn't go until late because of his commitment to Florida. Uh, you know, 2020, he was shortened, but he pitched well. He was okay, but not great last year. Uh, you know, it still missed bats, three strikes, um, you know, but got hit around a little bit more than you'd think. Uh, so the question was where he was going to land this year. You know, his stuff, he's a big lefty. And I think people thought maybe his stuff would have taken a, a more of a step forward. Uh, and it hasn't really, but uh, against Liberty, and this was the, again, the one game that Florida won uh, in their, in their weekend opening series, he gave up one hit and one walk and struck out 11 and six shutout innings uh, to, to get the win. And the stuff was kind of around where he's been, you know, according to, to Synergy. He touched 95. He averaged a little bit over 92 with his fastball. Uh, he, he threw a bunch of sliders in, in the low 80s. Some were really good and tight. Threw a couple of good sort of sweeping sliders to especially left-handed hitters. Sprinkled in a few change-ups but didn't, didn't need it a whole heck of a lot. Um, so it was mostly the fastball slider combination. And it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, you, you can't take too much away from video and nor do I pretend to try to be a video scout, but uh, you, you watch him and, you know, the fastball was good up in the zone. It wasn't one of these like, wow, the, the life on it just, you know, was amazing. Um, you know, we had a, a good miss rate uh, on the fastball, 33%, 30% on the slider. Um Interestingly enough, there were the there were a lot of chases out of the zone. He had a forty percent chase rate overall for all, for all of his pitches. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays. Now, what really works for him, but also may limit him, you know, in terms of what scouts think of him, is that he's got a little bit of a lower slot, uh, makes it a little tougher for him to get to that slider consistently. 
but there's a lot of deception. Hitters were just not seeing his fastball, not just the left-handed hitters. Uh, so it was getting on them in a hurry. I don't think they were really picking the ball up out of his hand. So even though it was, uh, you know, maybe more 90 to 92 more often than not, uh, it, it played faster than that. You know, guys, guys were late on it and not catching up to it, I think, because of that deception. So uh, we'll see where it goes, you know, from here. Uh, you know, I think there are going to be some teams that won't like the delivery uh, and the mechanics of it. Uh but if it works, you know, there are going to be teams who who are, are going to be interested, especially with the dearth of healthy left-handed, you know, forget left-handed arms, college arms at all. Um, I'm not comparing him at all to Chris Sale. I'm just bringing up Chris Sale as, as an example of a college lefty uh, with that a lot of teams were worried about that, you know, a lower arm slot and how it would work. And that worked pretty well. Hunter Barco doesn't have the electric stuff that Sal had even back then, but sometimes guys do it differently and and it works. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he's evaluated as the spring goes on. Yeah, it's going to be interesting with, with you know, we've talked about this on multiple podcasts, all the top college pitchers who are hurt. Now Carson Wisden suspended. If you're, you know, you know, we've got Barco along with the, you know, the Florida State left-handers, you know, Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard, who had good weekends too. We have all those guys like kind of in the second round group right now, but some college pitchers are going to have to go in the first round. And if the guys continue to perform, I think they're going to push their way into that territory. Well, you, you set me up. We can go on to, uh, you know, uh, our, our next part of uh, talking about college, uh, the college weekend, some other hot and not performers. Um, I'd like to pretend that was intentional, but um, it was not. So you could have stayed mom and you know, no, I'm going to honor. It's all about transparency and honesty here. On I, the you know what? Podcast. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Cause Bryce Hubbard was the guy that uh, I wanted to mention. Uh, you know, as, as you, as you pointed out, we had him more in the second round range. We had him number 49. Uh, his, his teammate, Parker Messick, who pitches ahead of him, in the Florida State rotation is at 48. Messick pitched well, by the way. Also, he struck out 11 in five and two-thirds. Hubbard went five shutout innings and struck out 13. So, you know, 13 of the 15 outs he recorded uh, were by were by strikeout. This was against James Madison. Uh, more on that in, in just a little bit. Um Hubbard was sort of like what what he he's been. Uh, he was eighty nine to ninety three, sat around ninety to ninety one. But what really worked for him is that he was really aggressive and effective with his fastball, with a ton of deception. Um, you know, don't have this data, but a scout I talked to who was there, I said you know it had to be a high spin rate because they just they weren't uh, they really weren't picking him up. But that is what really worked for for Hubbard in his start. Um, you know, Messick, just a quick note on him to sort of uh, double up on the Florida State guys. Uh, the secondary stuff was a little bit better with a really good changeup and competed well. Uh, so Florida State off, you know, to a good start with both of those guys pitching uh, very well against JMU. Yeah, and, and my hot guy is, is a guy who's <sighs> polarizing might be a little strong. But I did get kind of mixed reports on him, or, or at least I should say divergent opinions uh, when talking about Clark Elliott, outfielder at Michigan. And, you know, Elliott won the Cape Cod League batting title last year, hit 344, led the league in on-base percentage. He, he's played mostly right field for the Wolverines, but he played center in the Cape. So a really strong summer, and nobody disputes that. Because everybody who you talk to about Elliott will tell you he works counts well, he makes a lot of line drive contact from the left side of the plate. But there's really split opinion about his power. You know, the guys who, who believe in the most think he's an advanced hitter and he's going to get into, you know, average power and he could be, uh, you know, a Michael Brantley type. And then others who aren't as optimistic note that he slugged 405 in his first two years at Michigan and he had low exit velocities with wood bats and, and they, they just don't see that kind of power. So it was interesting, you know, they went out to, the uh, State Farm Classic at, at Globe Life Field in Arlington, and then they played good competition um, to, to start the season. Uh, you know, they, they opened the season with Texas Tech, then came back with Kansas State and Oklahoma. Um, they actually played that, that tournament went fourth days, and they played UT Arlington. Uh, you know, another solid team uh, yesterday, or 
Yeah, yesterday. I'm losing track of my days here, Jonathan. But anyway, the interesting thing to me was that Clark Elliott, still in right field for the Wolverines because they, they have a faster guy, Joe Stewart, in center, hit two home runs. Um, in fact, he, he led off the season with a home run. So, again, you're, you're not going to you know, say, okay, two home runs in four games. I've determined he's got plus power. It's all good. But, you know, if, if he comes out and let's say he hits 10, 12 home runs this season, then he's going to go higher than where we have him in the draft. I mean, right now we have him ranked 71. Um, and like I said, I, I think he is one of the best hitters. Um, and it's funny because you talk to people, Jonathan, we get feedback. I had people who thought that was too high because they, they don't believe in the power. And other guys who thought I was crazy that that was too low, that we had him too low because they think he's one of the best hitters in the draft. I, I do think he can play center. Um, he, you know, he's one of those guys. It's probably, you know, 55 runner out of the box, but maybe 65 once he gets going. Um, and he played there well enough on the Cape. So I, I think most people feel pretty good. They could play center, but you know, this guy could be interesting. And, you know, Michigan keeps producing outfielders, you know, Jordan Brewer, Jordan Wogu, Jesse Franklin, you know, all these guys have gone in the top, you know, three, four rounds the last couple of years. And, you know, Clark Elliott, you know, I think he's probably a top two round guy with the bat. And if he hits for power, like he got did this weekend, if he shows that power is real, then I think he's he's a first round guy, perhaps. Interesting stuff. Yeah, those the cold the the cold weather teams. Michigan has you know it's like a sneaky good program. Um, I guess it shouldn't be sneaky since they played so well in post in postseason play recently. But um, I don't think I, I you and I talk about this a lot offline. The you know, the the longer we do this, the the less further back our institutional knowledge goes. So. <laughs> If you hadn't stretched together like those Michigan guys, I don't think I would have remembered that there'd been like that string of, you know, pretty high round uh, players to, co- to to come out of the Wolverine program. So thank you for shining a light on that and reminding me of that. Um, let's uh, sort of flip the script a little bit. Uh, obviously, we're not extrapolating too much from from an opening weekend, but some highly thought of players did not get off uh, to good starts. Uh, Jim, the player that you've chosen, you know, not only did he struggle a little bit, but uh, his high powered program did not have a good opening weekend. No, that would, that would be Vanderbilt, uh, which dropped um, two out of three uh, in their opening series. And, you know, Carter Young's another one of these, you know, guys who's, who's kind of divergent when you talk to people. I mean, he was one of the best defensive players in the I'm trying to do the math 2019 high school class and last year you know obviously the pandemic you don't get to play in 2020 you know very much his first full season he hit 16 home runs at Vanderbilt they went to college world series finals but he also led NCAA division one with 84 strikeouts in 61 games and if you watched him at the end of the season he got really power crazy and his swing was really uphill and he was striking out a you know, even more so at the College World Series and looked erratic defensively. Now, he, he had a left shoulder injury, and, and some people wondered if that's, you know, if it was bothering him, perhaps. Um, he's a switch hitter, uh, and maybe that was affecting it. But, you know, their opening series, they played Oklahoma State. And, you know, Oklahoma State, you know, ran top 10 in the country, um, good pitching staff. But Carter Young came out, and he went one for 10 with six strikeouts, and he made two errors at shortstop. So, I mean, the whole team struggled. Um, for the most part, but that was kind of the Carter Young we saw, you know, especially down the stretch last year where the swing got really uphill and he was having trouble making contact and he was surprisingly erratic in the field. So remember I said there was going to be a little bit more about, uh, about James Madison uh, because they have a, uh, a very highly regarded player in Chase DeLauder. He's number eight on our list. Um, I was excited to come to, to get a chance to have him go out and play. Uh, best part about him you know, to date was that I got to throw in a mention of our former colleague, Billy Sample, who's the, the best baseball player to come out of James Madison um, to, to date anyway. And, you know, DeLauder uh, is, is really interesting. You know, there's this swatch of, of outfielders, all who have upside with some potential holes, you know, as, as we sort of talked about um, coming off of, you know, he had a, a, a very good year in 2021 um, and then went to the Cape and hit nine homers in the Cape 
um, had a 986 OPS. Uh, so that, you know, shot him up boards because, you know, working with wood. Now, this weekend did not go well for him. Maybe it's unfair, you know, for a left-handed hitter right out of the gate to face two of the better college lefties in, in, in baseball. Because, listen, even if we have Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard, you know, as second rounders, that's still really good. Right? So it's a little rough to for him to head into, but he went, I think he went a combined 0 for 9 against, uh, I don't know, 1 for 9, sorry, a 1 for 9 against the two lefties. He went 3 for 14 for the weekend, and he struck out eight times without drawing a walk. And this is a guy who had walked much more than he struck out in, in both in the regular season in 2021 and then in the Cape, he had more walks than, than strikeouts. So, you know, talking to a scout who was at that series, you know, he, he saw the tools. He's big and strong, athletic, ton of raw power. Um, he's playing center field for James Madison, probably ends up in, in left field, although there's, there's, you know, pretty good arm there. So maybe he can handle right, depending on where he is. Um, there's a little stiffness in the swing. Uh, at least it was this weekend. So it's power over pure hit. Um, you know, so obviously it's too early to, like I said, draw any conclusions, but little concern with how he handled better pitching. So we'll see what he does as, you know, as he moves forward in JMU's season. Um, and as he faces some of the, you know, some of the better arms as, as we go on here, uh, but not, you know, not a great start. He only had, he had one extra base hit uh, of his three hits for, for the weekend. So we'll look for better things from Chase DeLauder. Yeah, I was going to say the one thing that I think saves him a little bit. I mean, and again, no, nobody's, we're not trying to suggest that people are now like, ah, oh, you know, he's not a, first lot or, not a free, yeah, any, on, I mean, the thing is, yes, I mean, these are probably the, the best pitchers he's going to face in a weekend series all year. Um, you know, they'll play Tennessee later in the season, but it'll be midweek. So they aren't necessarily going to see Tennessee's aces. I'll say the one thing that, you know, again, I mean, he's going to have to do better than three for 14 or whatever it was like over the course of the, of the spring, but like he did hit lefties. Well, Widwood bats in the Cape league, um, you know, where he faced quality competition. So, so I don't know. I, I feel like I'm a chase Delauder fan, Jonathan. I, I need to, I'm going to gerrymander our districts so I can uh, claim chase Delauder. <laughs> no. since we, our line ends at North Carolina and Virginia. You have Virginia. I'm going to, I'm going to grab chase Delauder, but, um, uh, you know, n- not the weekend you wanted to see, but he did hit lefties with wood on the Cape. So I'm just going to personally chalk this up to a bad weekend. I mean, it's funny. I mean, and it's so early because we're, you know, three games into a 56 game college season, which, you know, let alone the postseason. And you know, like in my mind, I was actually when I saw how he did and, and how he struggled, I was like, you know, if I'm a team picking like middle or late first round, I'm like, good. You know, like, I hope people remember that. Like I can, you know, maybe I can get chased a louder at 15 or something if that sticks in people's minds. But, uh, yeah. uh you know, and like the, 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 I guess the thing that surprised me the most, and you touched on this, Jonathan, is what I like about him is, I mean, the size and athleticism is really impressive, but he probably, ha- he, his approach, at least if you're looking at strike out the walk ratios, you know, is probably as good as any of the guys we have projected as first rounders. And for him to strike out eight times and not walk, that is just really odd to me. So, um, but yeah, it kind of a baffling weekend, but at least he has, you know, the resume is still pretty strong. Like I, you know, that where he, he did hit quality lefties last sure. summer, but no, I, I am kind of question. baffled by and, that. And listen, Messick and Hubbard, you know, pretty much filled up the strike zone. Messick did walk too. Hubbard didn't walk anybody. You know, so I think that he probably found himself behind in the count early and, and got himself into into trouble. Yeah, by no means am I making any any drawing any conclusions. And you know, I feel like I say this all the time with like with on the minor league side, uh, a three for fourteen stretch in the middle of the season when you already have two hundred at bats, no one notices. When you're three for fourteen with eight strikeouts to open a season, it kind of is more glaring than than it should be. So take it for for what it's worth, and uh, we'll see what he does from here. All right, we're done with looking at the amateur game for this week. We're going to take a break, and when we return, we will look at all of the best defenders in the minor leagues next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back, MLB Pipeline Podcast, Jonathan Mayo, along with Jim Callis. Uh, let's turn our sights not only to the minor league game, but I felt like we you know, we, we talked a lot about uh, hitters uh, d- during our, our breakdown of, of college. So uh, I, we, we tend not to spend as much time talking about defense. Uh, and, and understandably, you know, if you, if you can't hit, uh, you're, you're either not going to make it to, to the big leagues or you're, you're going to have a limited role. But I feel so sometimes it gets short shrift, except when it comes time for our annual all-defense team, uh, which, uh, as we record this, uh, is coming out tomorrow, Wednesday. Uh, we're recording here on Tuesday. Uh, and, you know, Jim, you know, you, you do the the heavy lifting uh, on this. I know we all kind of weigh in, uh, but it's, you know, it's always interesting to me trying to figure out who the best defenders are, because obviously we don't have the same kind of qualitative uh, data, uh, you know, that you have on the offensive end. I think the analysis of defense has improved, but it's still, you know, a little more imperfect. So some of this uh, may be a little more subjective, uh, or at least you don't have as much informa- hard information to put with it. Nevertheless, I think we have, you know, once again, you've put together a, a very solid, you know, all defense prospect team here. You think, and I agree with that. And even, even at the major league level, you know, there, there, there are more metrics and data and they sometimes contradict each other too. Like I'm not even comfortable with, with, you know, solely judging guys based on defensive metrics in the big leagues, because like I said, you can get contradictory opinions, but um, yeah, you know, we would try to talk to a number of scouts and it's definitely more subjective, but uh, here is your, your 2022 all defense team uh, behind the plate, Adley Rutschman of the Orioles, who also happens to be number one on the end of season, 2021 top 100 prospects list going around the infield, Nick Prado of the Royals at first base, Vidal Brujan of the Rays at second base, Casey Schmidt of the Giants at third base, Nick Allen of the Athletics at shortstop, and then the outfielders—really uh, all three center fielders—but you can you can play some wherever you want in the outfield, Jonathan. Uh, sure. We're going to cover a lot of ground with Christian Pache of the Braves, Pete Crow Armstrong of the Cubs, and Michael Harris also of the Braves. And if if a lot of these names sound familiar, right. that's because Christian Pache has been on this team five years in a row. Nick Allen has been on the team three years in a row, and Nick Prado was on it last year while Vidal Brujan and Pete Crow Armstrong were second teamers. And I'm not going to read off the whole second team. People can check it out on our site. But on, but on the second team, Shea Langoliers, Braves catcher, Michael Tolia, Rockies first baseman, and Nassim Nunez, Marlon shortstop, also all repeated from the second team last year. So, I mean, I do think <laughs> as hard as we work at this, I do think it's somewhat like the gold gloves where you get the reputation and it sticks with you, but there's no question. These guys are all standout defenders. And I don't know, Jonathan, I guess we've said this on the podcast for five years in a row, hmm. but like when I think of best defenders in the minors, I think of Christian Pache, although Christian Pache probably wishes that, that I wouldn't because I think he hoped he'd be established in the big leagues by now. Right. I think, you know, he, it's, a, it's an interesting case with him because I think a lot of people were hoping that last year was when he was going to establish himself. Uh, you know, he could play center field in, in the big leagues, you know, in perpetuity. And there's no question there that it's the offensive side of things. That's where this isn't like the gold glove, right? Because sometimes offensive production puts a guy in your, in your head more, uh, you know, for those who, who picked that award. But uh, I mean, he, he just is, um, from a pure tool standpoint, he's, you know, tremendous speed, one of the strongest arms in all of baseball period at any position. 
and he has incredible instincts and he trusts them. You know, so this is the kind of guy that could play very shallow because he believes in his ability to go back on a ball and he can do it and he does it with ease. And he makes every play, uh, you know, including ones that he shouldn't make. Uh, you know, there's a reason why uh, he was on you know the postseason roster uh, a while back. And and you know the 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 funny thing is with him is that he's still very young. Now, are there concerns about his ability to hit? Yes. Um, but I think there's time for him to turn it around and he's going to have to hit uh, in order f- to get his glove in the lineup on, on a daily basis. I think the Braves would love for him to, to be ready to, to do that. Uh, and, you know, from the early going, he had, he had built this reputation as being defender. And the last time we did any kind of survey uh, about uh, last couple of years, we did any kind of survey among evaluators of who the best defensive player in the minor leagues was at any position. He won hands down, right? So this, you know, yes, there's that little bit of that reputation piece, as you, as you pointed out, but um, you know, his ability to, to to play up the middle defense is you know almost unparalleled. With all the respect to the other two center fielders who are on this list. Well, and what's crazy too is, I mean, you don't think arms for center fielders, like, like the throw, like most center fielders, you know, it feels like they have below average arms. And, you know, if if Christian Pache had a 40 arm, he'd still be on this team because he's so crazy good in center. Like you point out, I mean, he can really, really run and his instincts match the speed. So he gets the absolute, you know, most out of his range. But the guy's got a well above average arm to go with it. it. It almost seems unfair. So he, he he's the easiest choice. I mean, like you point out, he does have the reputation, but it's well earned. Like he's not he's not coasting on that. So, you know, it's I mean, I would assume, you know, he's got to be pretty close to graduating on days. He probably won't be back next year. Um, so we, we won't he won't he's be back. Hoping. Yeah, his 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 sixth appearance. I mean, we've only done the all defense team, Jonathan, for for six years. And he's been on it for five. I, I take the back. We've done it for seven. And he's been on it for five. And pretty much, like, since 2018, we don't rank the defenders, but probably the top defender on the team for the last five years, too. I mean, it, it's just yep. – it's, it's, it's crazy. We'll and then, have to rename it the Christian Pache All-Defense Team. Yes, exactly. And, and so, you know, some good outfielders on the team. You know, we mentioned Pete Crow Armstrong and, and, and fellow brave Michael Harris. But, but Pache clearly – the guy who jumps out, just like I think infield wise, Jonathan, a, another prospect on on one of the teams that you cover, who's become kind of a mainstay on this team. Um, I don't know the you know we, we might have him back again for for a fourth year next year. Um, you know we'll see. You know Nick Allen, you know really hit well in Double A last year and then struggled in Triple A, so he's on the cusp, but not you know a lock to get you know, maybe lose that rookie stats, but, but tell us what makes Nick Allen so good at shortstop. He is definitely a guy who, who has been, I mean, since his high school days, right? I mean, I remember him at the under all uh, under armor, all American game at Wrigley field. He looked good at shortstop. Yeah. And he, and then he also played in the, the, the video that always sticks in my mind with him is when he was at the perfect game, all American classic in San Diego. And he made at least one, uh, if not to just highlight reel, like the kind of things that you would see, you know, on a plays of the week kind of thing. Um, you know, he's, he's not very big, uh, you know, five foot eight. And, you know, that's what he's listed at. Um, and he's always just had uh, an unbelievable ability at shortstop. Uh, you know, his instincts are off the charts. You know, he's quick. Uh, so he covers a lot of ground, his footwork, his hands are really fast. Um, he's one of those guys, Jim, you you know, you see a guy shortstop and people talk about them having like that, that really good internal clock. Yep. Um, he is one of those guys, like it's just the, the, the game's kind of slows down for him. So he makes the, the routine plays and he makes the highlight reel plays and he, it, it just, there's an ease that he, he does it with. And he's got, uh, you know, a, a very strong arm. He can throw from all angles. If you want him coming in, you want him from the hole. Um, 
you know, you may look at his games played and he's played a bunch at second base. That's fine. He can play second. I think that's just, let's see where he's needed. Maybe he breaks in as a super utility guy. Uh, his role will be determined by how much he hits. Like I said, he's not very big. Um, you know, he took some nice steps forward. Uh, he's worked very hard to add strength, uh, but he's a smaller guy. So there, there's going to be a limit there. Maybe he's a bottom of the lineup guy when all is said and done, but he is really fun to, he's one of those guys that, you know, you know when you're like, Oh, I stopped to watch that guy take BP. Like he's the kind of guy you stop to watch take infield practice. Oh, definitely. I mean, like I said, I, I still remember him standing out at, at Wrigley Field back in the day. You know, it, it's interesting. I feel like when I, 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 I think I'm the one who usually winds up doing this story. Maybe the toughest decision is a catcher where we have two guys who went in the first eight picks back in the 2019 draft. And that would be Adley Rutschman and Shea Langoliers. Mm-hmm. And once again, as I kind of surveyed people, you know, Adley Rutschman edged Shea Langoliers as the best defensive catcher. I mean, I think they're really neck and neck. Um, I mean, they're, they're both outstanding receivers. They're, you know, they both, you know, I think have that catcher's mentality. If you put the pitchers first and you, and you, you run the pitching staff, you know, you know, Adley, look, I mean, he's the number one prospect in baseball because his bat is, you know, kind of, you know, separates him. Although Shea Langleaders hit 22 home runs last year in, in, in 97 games. I don't think he's going to hit for his high average or, or, or get on base as much as Ali Rutschman, but he's not going to be, say, Jeff Mathis behind the plate, you know, giving you nothing. I, I think he can be kind of an average hitter with, you know, maybe 20 homers per year. But, man, I, I struggle with those two guys. I, I do think that, that Shea Langleaders' arm is a little bit stronger mm-hmm. than Ali Rutschman, but, like, that's one – I honestly feel like could be a coin flip. And I, I kept the status quo from last year, which was Rutschman, you know, you know, well, I, you know, I, I take that back, you know, Langoliers was on the team last year as the second teamer. And I guess Jake Rogers was on the team. I was thinking Adelie was repeating, but it's that one to me was the, the closest battle of them all. I think. Yeah. That, I think that's a tough one. And honestly, if you had flipped it, I, I, I'd be all right. Sure. Yeah. I could see it. You know, listen, the Braves had, uh, you know, we were supposed to see Shea Langliers in the Arizona Fall League, and he uh, was on their postseason taxi squad for their entire run last fall. Now, some of that is because they didn't have any other catchers, but a lot of it was because of how much they would have trusted him had he had to step in into the postseason to catch their pitching staff. Um, so I think that speaks volumes. You know, you could go either way uh, with them and – uh, like you said, just like it was in, in, in the draft class, you know, if if it hadn't been for Adley Rushman, a lot more people would have been talking about Shea Langoliers. He also had gotten hurt. But, uh, you know, so I, that's a really interesting one to, you know, f- for me. Um, and I think it's going to be fun, uh, you know, as they get to the big leagues around the same time, seeing what they're able to do uh, defensively. Um, you know, everyone's just assuming that Rushman is going to be a superior offensive player. But as you pointed out, you know, Langliers has a chance to, 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 to be a good run producer. Right? You know, he's not as good a overall hitter, but the power is definitely showing up. I, I think the only one, like, and we, we're not going to get into it, but you, you mentioned the first baseman. That's the only other one where I think you probably could have flipped Nick Prado and Michael Tolia. Uh, they're both outstanding first basemen who don't play first base like the stand there and catch the ball kind of guys. They almost play first base like their third baseman. Um, so that, that was the other one that looked, you know, I looked at it. I'm like, Ooh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty close one. Yeah. I, and I think that's fair. Like, I don't, I don't think you could go wrong uh, either way on that. So um, I, I agree with that. All right. We're going to take a, another break. And when we come back, we'll finish up as we always do by reaching into the mailbag for your questions coming up next on the MLB pipeline podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
And we're back on the MLB Pipeline podcast, and it's time to answer your questions. Um, I'm glad we're going to do a couple of them this week because I do the inbox, and this just makes my job easier. Um, I feel like our our first question here kind of helps us combine what we've talked about today between the draft and, and minor league prospects. This comes from Boop, at Real Radkisson. If Dylan Cruz, Jacob Gonzalez, and Max Clark were 2022 draft eligible, I guess this is just draft related, sorry, I was already putting them into minor league lists, where would they rank compared to Drew Jones, Elijah Green, Tamar Johnson, Chase DeLauder, etc.? cetera? Uh, Dylan Cruz and Jacob Gonzalez are very talented underclassmen in the college game. Max Clark uh, very well could be the top prospect in 2023. Three, Jim. What uh, I'll let you, you know, sort of take first crack as to where you think these guys might belong. Yeah, I'm gonna go apples to apples here, um, sure. Because I think you know it, it gets confusing otherwise. So you know, Dylan Cruz. You know, I, I think, and again, I haven't run this by a lot of people, but my gut feeling, Jonathan, is that we're talking LSU outfielder. Um, he also had a good first week. Um, will be draft eligible. Um, uh, next year, mm-hmm. I think if he were in this year's draft class, he had a really good freshman year at um, LSU. I think you could make a case he would rank right there with any of the college outfielders in, in this year's crop. You know, it's a strong crop. You, know, you mentioned Chase DeLauder. There's Brock Jones. There's Gavin Cross. I think he'd be right there in that mix. So I, I think if Dylan Cruz were eligible, I think he'd be a potential – um, you know, top 10 pick right now, you know, right now, if you were eligible. I, th- I think that sounds right uh, to me. You know, I remember him from, from high school, you know, the, the bat was interesting. Um, you know, I think there's a, you know, short chance to hit than some of these guys that have some questions. So I, yeah, I would put them right in that mix, you know, and, you know, remind people where we had, you know, our highest, College outfielders Brock Jones at seven, and then Chase DeLauder is eight. Gavin Cross from Virginia Tech, who got hurt opening weekend, is is ten. Um, so I could see him in that maybe seven to twelve range. Robert Moore, the second baseman at Arkansas, and Kevin Parada, the catcher at Georgia Tech, are eleven and twelve. So somewhere in that mix sounds right to me. Um, I mean, it's not out of the question. I mean, I haven't we haven't done a list for next year, obviously, Jonathan. But I mean. I, He's probably off the top of my head the top college prospect for next year's draft right now. Yeah, I think you know what I, I I'd buy that without having done a, a whole lot of uh, you know looking at it. And what about uh, what about Jacob Gonzalez who you know who's at Ole Miss? Yeah, you know Jacob <laughs> Jacob Gonzalez might be right there behind him. You know, and it, it's interesting because we asked this question. You know, the, the you know not quite as much as in the past. Um, because of the the COVID year, but to put a sophomore like Dylan Cruz or Jacob Gonzalez with these guys really speaks to them because they don't have the, the you know they don't have as much chance to put up track record as these other guys. But Jacob Gonzalez, you know, super interesting guy at uh, at Ole Miss. Um, he he's really really good. Again, we haven't broken him down. But I mean, guy hit three fifty five last year with twelve home runs. And played a really good shortstop. He, he's a quality defender at shortstop. He's not going to move off the position. More you know, walks I, I don't than strikeouts th- last year too. What's that? More walks than strikeouts. Yeah, last year. I mean, he's a really interesting guy. Um, and you know, being just so like, you know, we talked about Jacob Berry earlier, who you know may not be an infielder, but you know, you compare him to let's say Brooksley and Jace Young, who are two middle infielders, you know, we have ranked fifth and sixth, you know, Brooks Lee's a Cal Poly shortstop, Jace Young's Texas Tech second baseman, you know, maybe they move, maybe Brooks Lee's a second baseman the next level, maybe Jace Young's third baseman, but, but, you know, that, that, if we're going apples to apples, and you mentioned Robert Moore, Robert Moore's a second baseman, he, he's clearly the best defender of that group, and, you know, again, I don't think he's got the track record of Brooks Lee and Jace Young, but if he comes out and, and, and let's say he has a normal progression off a great freshman year, like, I think he'd rank right there as hitters. So I think he, you know, you could stack him up with those guys too. I mean, you know, it, 
I, so I guess after walking through this, I hadn't thought all the way through before we started yeah. the question. I mean, Dylan Cruz and Jacob Gonzalez theoretically could be as valuable as any of the college position players in this year's draft. Now, I think Jacob Berry's on another level, like I said, from everybody offensively, but he might be a corner outfielder. So, you know, if you told me that a year from now, when all is said and done, you and I are doing combined 2022-2023 rankings, maybe for a podcast mailbag, <laughs> it's possible. I, I could see a scenario where Jacob Berry would be one and Dylan Cruz would be two and Jacob Gonzalez would be three. I mean, we're talking about really, really talented players. No, I'm, I'm with you there. I think, you know, and again, you know, this, with the caveat, as you said, that we've not really dug into this or talked to scouts about it, but based on the profile, I, I think I would put Jacob Gonzalez behind only Jacob Berry among these, the college hitters. Uh, you know, in this class. So like right now, Brooks Lee is five. Most people don't think Brooks Lee can stay at short. Um, so I, I'd be more liable to put Jacob Gonzalez in, in that slot. If I, if I had to, had to do it right now, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned track record. And of course, what's interesting is because 2020 was such a messed up year, there isn't quite as much track record as usual for the guys in this year's draft class, that that freshman year didn't exist. Now they played in the Cape and things like that. You know, Brooks Lee went out and hit 405 in the Cape last year. So that, that certainly helps, but uh, it, you know, it, it is almost easier to just statistically look at them uh, because they all only have the one full season of 2021 to, to look at. What about, um, what about Max Clark? And we talked about him and talked to him on the show about the PDP league. I mean, he's really, really interesting and probably belongs. It's, it's amazing to say because the, the, the top three high schoolers in this class, uh, and we, you know, we, you know, we have Drew Jones, Jamar Johnson, and Elijah Green. Um, it's pretty impressive. It's a pretty impressive trio. Um, but Max Clark might belong right, right up there with him, right? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this because so – you know, if you compare, like we have Drew Jones number one on our overall list right now. You know, son of Andrew Jones. Um, if you're stacking Max Clark up against him, tool for tool, I think Max Clark is a better pure hitter. Um, you know, Drew Jones is solid. I think Max Clark is at least plus. The Drew Jones has got more power potential. They they both can really run. They both have good arms, and you know, Drew Jones. I mean, if we're just going to throw out ridiculous comps, um, like kind of feels like what Drew Jones feels like what his dad looked like when his dad was 17 or 18 years old. And his dad, you know, is arguably the best center fielder, center field defender of all time. And Drew Jones is probably the best defensive player in this draft. And Max Clark is a plus defender. So it's kind of, you know, matter of taste there. Um, You know, like Max Clark, I, I would probably go Drew Jones because of the ceiling, but Max Clark He's pretty close, and, he, and he's, he's got, you know, you feel a little bit better about his bat. You know, he's not as good a pure hitter as Termar Johnson, who's number two on our list. Yeah, but no one is. But, but no one is. So, right. like, that's ridiculous. And I I would, I would even though Elijah Green's ceiling is crazy, just because there are some swing and miss issues, I would take Max Clark over them. So, yeah, I mean, this is a great question. Cause I, guess, I guess what we're basically saying, Jonathan, is – Max Clark, you could put him right up there with the top high school players in this year's draft, and you could put Dylan Cruz and Jacob Gonzalez right up there with the top college players in this year's draft. So, hey, we've already got the top three guys for our 2023 draft list, right? There like, you go. It, it sounds yeah. like it. Yeah. I think well, here's, right. here's a question for you. Which okay. Who would you take first? Now, if I'm offering you, I'll, 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 I'll double down on Boop's question. If you, if you had to take one of those guys, uh, you know, between Dylan Cruz, Jacob Gonzalez, and Max Clark, who would you take? Oh, okay. Um, well, first let me say that I think I would probably put Clark at two in between Jones and Johnson also. Like, I think that that does make sense uh, because of the, of the middle. Um, and I just, I always like throwing out that Drew Jones could very, like very seamlessly goes and can play shortstop, um, you know, and could be a good one if anyone really wanted to do that. But, why would you? I mean, that just adds another element. Yeah. Um, I feel, you know, so it's a tougher question to answer only because I feel like I've spent more time learning about Max Clark because we did that show. 
Um, so I, I have a better feel. But I think I might go Jacob Gonzalez um, just because uh, he'll have a, a really long track record of success. And this is assuming that he, as you said, he continues on that sort of progression from a really strong freshman year at Ole Miss and keeps doing what he's doing. And, you know, so we're talking about, you know, three years of really impressive offensive production. He'll go somewhere this summer, presumably Cape Cod League, hits well there, and plays shortstop. To me, that's uh, that's a number one overall pick. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to say, I, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of leaning – that way just because of shortstop value although you know max clark is an up the middle guy yep you know like the the, the comp we had for the pdp show was like a faster version of jared kelnick i'd be torn i i would you know you, you have more track i feel like gonzalez would be the safer pick because you're gonna have seen him against college competition um but yeah that's 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 a pretty that's good, a good question and, and honestly like picking third in that draft uh, oh okay i'll take dylan cruz and his offensive upside okay um, let's, you know, let the others just make the decision and I'll, I'll take whoever falls to me. That's, that's not a bad position to, to come up. All right, let's finish up with one question that is minor league related. This comes from Michael Bradley at balls and gutters, both Luke and Baker of the Cardinals and Mason Martin of the pirates were left exposed to the rule five draft, uh, which obviously has not taken place, uh, yeah. despite being on top thirties and the potential of the designated hitter, uh, you know, universal designated hitter being in the next CBA. Which do you think could stick now, and who is a better long-term prospect? And I think we agree, Jim, that we're kind of looking at the second part because I don't – we don't – I personally don't think either of them could stick right now. I, I um, think they, they would struggle offensively just because they're both very free swingers who right. barely – they both have played – you know, Luke and Baker's played two games in AAA, and uh, Mason Martin has played eight. So, I, I, I mean, I guess if you rule five them, they'd have to make your opening day roster. Right. But I feel like they might struggle to make contact. But uh, I know you're looking forward to the, the upcoming, we don't know which week yet, Rule 5 preview edition of the Pipeline podcast <laughs> um, after we have a new CBA. Yeah, um, sure. But anyway, so, who, so yes, I, it's – I think we're in agreement. Neither of those guys is going to stick, but you have, you have your pick, Jonathan. Uh, I if you do. have Mason Martin I, or Luke and Baker, who are you taking? I, I do. I, I, I lean slightly towards Mason Martin. Um, I, you know, I think in both instances that the power is very real and Mason Martin's power is off the, the charts good from the left side of the plate. Um, I mean, the thing that, makes me think that maybe he'll figure out is he sort of had this up and down, you know, he came in kind of, he was a later round pick. Um, good job identifying the raw power by the pirates scouting staff and just went off in, in what was then the Gulf coast league. Um, then kind of showed up in 2018, maybe thinking that he had it figured out and really struggled. Um, righted the ship a little tiny bit when they sent them back down to, to rookie ball kind of learned the lesson and then in 2019 went off again. Yes. Tons of swing in this. I mean, 168 strikeouts and 556 plate appearances, but he also drew a ton of walks and hit 35 homers across two levels of a ball. Um, you know, it's not like Bradenton in the Florida state league is this like hitters paradise. Um, so the power is real. Then he moved up to double a, uh, Oh, and the alt site, you know, people were talking, even like the big league staff was talking about his power and his power being legitimate. And then he spent most of that time in Altoona and he hit balls that people don't hit balls in, in that ballpark. I've been there several times. It, it, you know, I won't say it's like a, a pitching haven, but it is not a place where, you know, with a short porch in right field or anything like that. He, the power is legitimate, but the approach just completely went AWOL. It was, a, you know, Overall, between Double A and the brief stop you mentioned in Triple A, it was 171 strikeouts against 39 walks and 498 plate appearances. That's not that's not going to play, um, but he's shown that it's there, and I think that's why. Like I said, if he can kind of learn again, and honestly, if the Pirates weren't as deep of a farm system, he may have earned a 40 man roster spot. I think they're rolling the dice that he is not the kind of guy that 
typically gets taken in a Rule 5 draft because he is first base only and because of the swing and miss concerns that he could kind of tweak his approach and get back to the guy who we saw in 2019. Now, listen, he's never going to hit for average, right? He's going to swing and miss a lot. But if he can work counts and draw walks, he's going to get to that power and he could hit 30, 35 homers a year in the big leagues. Yeah, you know, I I went back and forth on this. I, I, I would go with Luke and Baker because I think he's got a better chance to tap into that power. I mean, not that Luke and Baker is, you know, Tamar Johnson or anything at the plate, but you know, he, he's like his strikeout rate is about 7 or 8% lower than Mason Martin's in their minor league careers. His walk rate's about 2% better. That said, he's two years older than Mason Martin, yeah. so you could you could argue that too, that, you know, you know, Mason Martin, when he's 24, might be more advanced than he is now. Um, you know, Luca Baker just makes me feel old because we were talking real quickly during the break about how I saw him at the uh, the All-Star Game High School Home Run Derby, which was way back in 2014 when he was primarily a pitcher. And his first year at TCU, he looked really good on the mound, but he, he got hurt and, and wound up becoming a full-time hitter. Um, so I, I would go with Luke and Baker. I, I think it's pretty close. Like I said, I just think... He controls the strike zone a little bit better, but, you know, the argument you laid out, you know, and the fact that, that Mason Martin's two years younger and that, you know, maybe he, you know, catches up to, to Luke and Baker, we'll see. But but I think they're both very comparable players, um, and, and, and both guys should probably be rejoicing that it appears that we will have a universal DH when we get a new CBA. Like, that will be good for both of them. Absolutely. All right, and it's good for us that we are closing up shop right now. That's a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.